Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry, and we are talking about the necessity of self-control now. Um, so over the last few episodes, we've seen and considered a lot already about self-control. Um, and our first point was that eternity or your soul actually hangs on self-discipline. And not that salvation is through works, but that the whole idea of perseverance of the saints is premised on an enduring by faith to the end of your life. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, coming up. Um, it's not one of it's not the one who starts following Jesus who is saved, um, but the one who endures to the end. And so we learned that the Christian life is actually to be a very serious work. And silliness is not really an option. Rather, we would be very sober-minded, fixing our hope on the return of Christ. Um, So that led to then some episodes on procrastination. And we know that those were hard ones to hear, uh, especially if you procrastinate, Um, which is, but the reason we dealt with it is one of the great enemies to self-control. And so what Matt Miller and I sought to show was the vastness of this sin, how it impacts all aspects of our lives, to our detriment, and in the end, simply it was a call to us all to not be arrogant, not boast in a tomorrow that's not promised to us. Um, it really is, in some ways, it's a description of the five foolish virgins you read about in Matthew 25, 1, that they weren't diligent. And so when the return of Christ came, they were not allowed into the wedding feast. Rather, they were turned away by Christ himself, or as he said it, I do not know you. And and. For me, pastorally, uh, these kind of phrases just haunt me. Um, my question in my mind is, you know, how many will be in this group you know, on the day of the Lord's return? How many will be saying, yeah, yeah, we believe these things and we'll get serious tomorrow? Right. That's the point. We'll get serious tomorrow. And all of a sudden, he's coming. We have no oil. <laughs> and um, also, I always, uh, that, that story blows me away because the other virgins, will not share their oil. <laughs> uh, they're like, no, if, if we Time give you some- is over, right. Yeah, if we give you it, we won't have enough. And it's like, nope, 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 nope. And it, it, I don't know, it just paints a picture that is very different than sometimes how we think grace works and kindness and showing mercy toward one another. There's a point where you're like, look, those were your choices. Um, anyhow, that's a separate issue. So today what we want to do now is make several observations about the value and necessity of self-control. We're actually going to do this over a couple of podcasts. Uh, uh, The goal is really rather simple. Uh, Perhaps some of you uh, actually were beat up in the last two episodes as we tore away all those lies that all of us tend to wrap ourselves in related to procrastination or self-control. And so what we want to do is build up a sincere desire in you that will help drive you through the Spirit's power to grow with regard to self-control. Unfortunately, though, even now as we develop the idea of self-control, it's necessary to do it via negative ideas. So this is not, it's still going to be kind of a beating up, but hopefully it'll be a helpful beating up. Well, it's because it's how the Bible does it. Yeah. 
Well, that's what I mean. It's like, <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, the Bible simply is replete with warnings, all of which are actually designed to motivate each of us to do what's right and good before the Lord. Um, and so, as I said, we're going to do it over a couple of episodes. They're relatively short because what we really want you to do is to hear what we're saying and then think about what you hear and then most importantly, act on it. Uh, in fact, we just finished taping also our repentance and conversion. And, you know, it, this has so much to do with that, of that hopefully for some people that they'll, they'll just realize that section in their life, they, it just, it's time to repent and just turn toward God in these things. Not so much being saved, right. just realizing it's time to grow up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we do have a few observations here. Uh, so the first one is this. It's we'll phrase it, we'll say it this way: lack of self control is simply slavery, not freedom. Um, so Proverbs twenty seven twenty says, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, nor are the eyes of man ever satisfied. Now the imagery in you that say Abaddon. How do you say it? Abaddon. Abaddon. I say Abaddon. All right. We're going to let us know. You, let us know. <laughs> you guys, we, every time we end it, let us know what you think. Nobody does. <laughs> so come on. Is it Abaddon or Abaddon? It's up to you. One of us will repent, though. <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, so I'll read that one again. Sheol and Abaddon, or Abaddon, <laughs> are never satisfied, nor are the eyes of man ever satisfied. And again, the imagery is, it, it, it's a powerful one. And, you know, especially if, if you've lived any length of time and you've seen death, um, death in, in the grave always has room for more. Yeah. Um, and neither of them ever says no. <laughs> uh, they're, they're always ready to swallow up one more. And, and then it becomes very personal because in the same way, the eyes here in the second half of the, the verse uh, where it says the eyes of man are uh, never satisfied. Um, the eyes here speak of the heart, the desires, or the will of man. Um, they just cannot find that satisfaction. Uh, th there's always something more that you don't possess, and so it becomes your new goal. And this is the cause. You, it you, really is America, though, isn't it? I mean, we because we have so much, but we see it even in poorer countries like Ethiopia where you just start yearning, I just need this, I just need that. And you, all of a sudden your whole life has passed you by. You've been chasing one goal after another and never chasing Christ. Right. Which, compare that to Philippians with Paul saying, yeah, no, I put all that behind me and I have one single, anyhow. Christ and Christ alone, yeah. Um, yeah, it, you know, there, we all, that's the cause of idolatry, right. essentially, and, it, and it's just folly. It's what makes, makes the task of the tempter so easy uh, because our sin is, it's not something outside of us, but it's actually something within all of us. And so what the devil needs to do is just, he merely needs to put stuff before our eyes and then we can't take our eyes off of it. Um, we're so drawn to those things and weak. And we keep thinking that something or someone else is going to bring us, therefore, that ultimate peace, that ultimate satisfaction, um, where our eyes are filled, our hearts are filled, and it just never happens, right? We keep filling ourselves with things that never deal with the heart. Um, there's many a testimony of those who grew up in a Christian home. Uh, they, they reject it, and they're just seeing it as a set of rules that's restricting somehow their joy. Um, in restricting their pleasure, only later to find out the opposite was true. 
we're made in the image of God. We are made to be worshipers of God. Um, the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just to go to heaven. Uh, rather, it's to declare that he is altogether glorious, that he is that satisfaction, right. in other words. Uh, but to love Jesus means that we bring our passions, therefore, and our desires to bear on him. Uh, we, we no longer are Lord of our lives, but we're slaves to Christ uh, instead of being you know, slaves to nothing. Um, we're willing slaves to Christ, but, and yet the Bible describes us as slaves. You're yeah. always a slave to something. You're either a slave to your sins and your passions or you're a slave to Jesus Christ. Um, you want we to read Jeremiah? Yeah, we don't like to admit that, but yeah, let me read Jeremiah too. Um, in verses 12 and 13, uh, Jeremiah writes, Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and shudder. Be very desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Uh, in other words, the path to hell and the chains of sin is a well-marked and well-worn path. I mean, it, we're just following generation after generation of people going into that very grave that's never satisfied, right? And we keep thinking we'll be different. Our end will be different. Um, and uh, this is what we do. We forsake our Lord, and we instead say, we'll dig a well, and this time it'll be a better well. It, not like dad. Uh, we're different. Um, and so all we would say is when you don't practice self-control, then we cannot say to our eyes, it's enough. And that's what you literally have to do. At some point, you have to say to yourself, it's enough. Um, I, I, I will choose to be satisfied with Christ, and that's sufficient. And so what we do is we be, instead become enslaved, uh, and it's of our own making, with only ourselves to blame. In fact, it's really the sin of the Garden of Eden. We, we abandon God's way because we think he's holding, on, uh, holding us back, if you will. So what we do is we create our own th way, thinking it's going to be far better. Uh, but again, it's not freedom. It's just enslavement, uh, enslavement to the deception of self. Yeah, and I, because, you know, like Eve, yeah. she, she thought God's holding out on me, right? I, I have all this garden here but there's that one tree and I think he's withholding it from me. And it became desirable to her. <laughs> yes. Her eyes all of a sudden became dissatisfied. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So I'm going to get it and satisfy myself. And boy. <laughs> <laughs> she got something. Yeah. We all got something. Um, yeah. Now the Bible tells us that, that this lack of self-control actually becomes a key weapon in the arsenal of false teachers. Uh, so listen to 2 Peter 2 verses 18 through 19. He says, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they, talking about the false teachers, entice how by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the one who lives in error. And here it is, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Um, so here you have false teachers promising things and yet, really, they're just, I mean, they're slaves. They remain as slaves. Yeah, and it makes you wonder, um, we talked about this off mic, but how many pastors, how many preachers in the end will find out they're going to hell? You know, that they themselves were slaves of corruption, all the while 
preaching and and what were they, but what they're doing is they begin to entice the people into some kind of a cheap grace or a free grace. And I have one pastor, prominent pastor in my mind. I I mean I don't know his state of his soul, but the fact that he's still out there preaching the way he preached it would be Tullian Chavidian. You know, he, he began to really talk about it's grace, it's grace, it's grace. All the while he's having multiple affairs. All the while he's doing all this these adulteries, um, and it's. Isn't it great that grace is greater? And it's like, dude, you, I don't think you're reading the whole Bible. Um, but but there, you, countless men are going to find themselves in that situation that they are the kind of person that Peter's actually yeah. talking about. Well, and then you just got the low-hanging fruit with guys like Joel Osteen, who, what's it, his famous ones, is Victorious Living. Yeah, um, your best life now. Yeah, um, it's promises of freedom, but it's a false gospel. Right. I mean, you're, you're just more and more enslaved into yeah. that, which is not true. Sadly, our nation has produced tons of this. Yep. And then when we go to Africa, we get the pleasure of apologizing. Yeah. Well, yeah. And because we see how much it's devastating yep. that continent. Yeah. So uh, listen, listen here how Peter counsels us in our freedom. In 1 Peter 2.16, he says, Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Um, literally the word slaves there. Yeah. So you're free. Why are you made free? So that you can serve. <laughs> yeah, so you can be a slave. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Paul says similar, similar things in Galatians 5. One, he says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Talking about the sinful flesh. Um, and then 5.13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This gets into the whole idea of why you're free in Christ. You're, you, you're made free in Christ, but so that you might become a servant to everybody else. Yeah, one of the things that always disturbs me is when I, as, just as a pastor, and I'm trying to caution somebody. Um, about something they're choosing to partake in. Um, and I can't say overtly it's sinful, but I don't think it's wise. It seems to capture them or enslave them. And they'll say, but what's wrong with it? And you're almost always off to the wrong start when when your first thing is, yeah, but what's wrong with it? Yeah, there, there's something behind, driving that yeah, kind of question. Yeah, and, and it's like, yeah, but I'm free. It, what they're trying to say is I'm free to do this. And it's like, I'm not debating whether you're free. The question is, knowing you, <laughs> is that wise? You know, Paul says, you know, uh, all things are lawful to me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Um, you know, he had this healthy distrust. I, I just think Paul looked at himself. He's like, yeah, I know who I am, and I just don't trust myself. And so I have an incredible freedom, but I will not allow anything to have mastery because I have a different Lord, which. Yeah. Well, and the, the phrase we'll always say in response to that question is instead of asking what's wrong with it, you should be asking what's right about it, what's virtuous about it, what's noble. Yeah. How, how is it furthering the cause of Christ and why you've been made free, which is to become a slave to Christ and therefore serve others. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, we lie to ourselves that we're merely exercising our Christian freedom, right? Uh, in our interactions with others, we, we love to give the protests, again, what's wrong with it. But the whole time our eyes, what's behind that? Our eyes are merely looking off into the distance to see what else it might obtain. And so instead of true freedom 
comes um, when we subsume our desires under the yoke of the slave of Christ. That's where freedom is, um, where, where we're, we're to now serve one another out of love and out of that freedom. Yeah, and, and then you don't care. It's like, yeah, I could, so what? It, it, so what? Um, then the second observation we would say is that lack of self-control is evidence actually of an apostate spirit. Um, so in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, he says, uh, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, <laughs> brutal, um, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's fascinating. Lovers of pleasure is contrasted with the lover of God. Um, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And then he says, avoid such men as these. Um, it, it's, a, it's a frightening thing. In verse 3, uh, there's a, a term, akrites, uh, ac, ac, akrites, yeah, uh, which sim simply means without self-control. Uh, it's a dissolute, scandalous, disgraceful type of life. Uh, but what stands out in the whole passage there is it's a description not of unbelievers. They're already that way. Right. Um, but of those within the visible church, which begs the question, how does the church end up looking like this? And what we would argue is that part of the answer lies in how we treat things such as self-control, how we wink and chuckle at the latest little faux pas that somebody commits. Uh, so you... you it really irks me. I find I'm getting to be that grumpy old guy. Um, you know, you like to joke about your self-control. You know, how many times do we see that uh, in various Facebook forums? You know, they're kind of jokes. Yeah, yeah, you know, I kind of lose it. Or I, uh, yeah. And it's like, dude, what would Paul say? <laughs> let's, let's just ask Paul. He would be very unimpressed with you joking about your lack of self-control. There would be no humor in, in any way with him. Or not even, I mean, certainly we do that, but then there's the other people who just, they'll acknowledge that yeah. they lack self-control. Like, I, I will make a joke about it. I know it's wrong, but I struggle with this. And yet you you're never not, quite get to yeah, doing anything about it. There's not much evidence that there's a struggle. Yeah. Um, Paul would literally warn you to look to your soul and take great care because he would say that what's lurking there is actually an apostate heart potentially. The one that personally irritates me is when you have, and again, because in the passage it talks about holding to a form of godliness. There's a form of godliness there. And so it's, it's so deceptive. Um, but when you have these men standing behind pulpits, but they can't preach over their bellies. Yeah. I mean, they just can't control a simple thing like their appetite. And yet they'll just keep talking about, I struggle in this area. And it's just like, you, that actually disqualifies you from even being an elder. Yeah. Because you don't yet evidence self-control in your life. And if you're not doing it with something like food, which is simple, what other areas of your life right. is there not? I, and guys, we're not trying to be a jerk here. We're both pastors. And you discovered right away, once you got into the seminary, that your rear end is sitting a lot more. And then as a pastor, you do a lot of sitting and a lot of reading, and, and you have to intentionally choose to work out, right? Um, and we both do that. I actually spoke to a, a young man, and I 
who's heading into the pastorate. And one of the things I just told him I wanted him to do, it just finished up seminary, was, look, I want you to lose weight. You've gained too much. And he has. In fact, I was uh, congratulating him just the other day of how well he's done that. And what blessed my heart was that he humbly took that. I, I mean, who wants to be told, look, dude, you're getting fat. But I, I just said, look, it's an issue of self-control. And it's not going to get easier as a pastor. Um, you're, you're always sitting. You have to make choices. Um, and, and you just need to bring that under self-control. And to his credit, he's done so. Um, and I have no doubt that that will manifest itself in other parts of his life as he grows and gets older and continues that race. But you're right. You know, it's like you, we, we all have to make certain that we're, we're understanding this concept of self-control. Um, it really is a brutal passage, that, uh, that passage in Timothy, though. It, it describes so much of what you see in the modern American Christianity. We plot and move to make more money. We live for social media and the gaining of followers and likes. We spread everything we can think of throughout the internet for all to hear and know. We love pleasure in ways our forefathers never dreamed would exist, actually. And so much of it moves through the vehicle of really just simply a lack of self-control. And so what's the end result? It's this form of godliness, but not a real one. An evangelical or reformed or Lutheran church that goes through the motions, but never gets around to calling the flock of God that lives soberly and wisely in the, God, in the godless age. And what you just said is, why? Because the pastors, the leaders aren't. Uh, a lack of self-control makes things rather easy for you in this life. Whatever you want to do, you do. Uh, your decision-making is very simple, you, you, right? You're like, well, I want it, and so I'm going to take it. And all around you, people are giving hearty approval as they practice the same thing. But God always looks at that differently. For him, it's serious, and it has very serious ramifications that are going to be attached to it. Because all it really is is this ever-brightening signpost shining forth that here stands an apostate in waiting. And yeah, that's a hard one. It, it is hard. But if, if it, you know, again, hopefully it will shock people in the sense of, you know, I've joked about this, whatever it is, long enough. It's time to begin to put it to death. Yeah. And when I, w I was reading through this, I was thinking about how when I think of lack of self-control, my mind for some reason goes pretty quickly to laziness, which is I think why we did that one also on procrastination. But having self not having self-control doesn't necessarily mean you're a lazy person. You just no. work really, really hard at fulfilling your desires, right. your pleasures. And so I've seen a lot of really hard workers who are utterly uncontrolled. Yeah. And all that energy goes toward getting what they want. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. So um, they, I say that only because I think we can fool ourselves sometimes into thinking, well, look at, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm accomplishing these things. I'm going for the, it's like, but those are things that you want. So they're not really requiring self-sacrifice or denying of self. I, I And this also gets into the corporate side of this. Um, I'll just use an example of a couple once as a pastor. Um, the wife was just talking about how food was too important to her, and she really wanted to grow out of that. And she was uh, actively learning to bring her appetites under control. And then she talked about how her husband uh, thought it was fun and funny to go and eat a bag of potato chips in front of her. And, and he just kind of smiled. And it's like, that's not right. 
he should he should come alongside her and he's like you know what sweetheart i'm gonna work with you on that and we're gonna we'll do it together uh, just out of a love and that's in a marriage but you can have that within a church where somebody is just saying i i i, I i'm not good at this and they're genuinely repentant they're they're broken over it but it's a struggle because they've never got taught how to begin the process of practically saying no to things and then they got friends who are all shoving well, I'm just using food here, but shoving food under the nose. It's like, come on, people, where's your love? And you say, yeah, but we're free. And Paul would say, and you're using your freedom as a covering for sin. So stop it. Yeah, Be yeah. a slave, serve one another in love. It, it's so, it's, it's excruciatingly discouraging uh, because you're like, you're hindering people. Don't do that. Don't, don't be that person. Anyhow. Yeah, a third observation then would be lack of self-control and this is just kind of a natural conclusion, a lack of self-control, therefore, is worthy of God's judgment. Matthew 23, 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Now, the term self-indulgence speaks here of a lack of self-control. Uh, the lack of self-control was part of the great condemnation against the religious leaders of that time. Who, by the way, though, to your point you just made, were men who had incredible self-control. They were so legalistic, right? Yeah. I mean, they had it down. They had all the control to do all of that, but it actually, in their heart, Christ says, no, it's self-indulgence. Exactly, yeah. Um, A lot of that pride there, I'm following to the letter of the law. Um, But what stands out to us is the heart of self-control rather than merely that appearance, which again, it was what many of those religious leaders were doing. Um, And even many religious leaders in our day, of course, though externally they showed so much promise, so much what people regard as godliness, the heart, which is all God actually looks at, (laughs) was filled with robbery and self-indulgence, as he says. Um, And again, that just, it speaks of our day and age in many, many ways. Um, Over and over again, we've seen Christian leaders whose gross sin has finally come to light, um, where once stood the external picture of a godly man walking in the grace of God, we now see just what, what becomes that ugly, that rotten reality of the hidden life. Yeah, so we're actually going to name a few names here, and we're not trying to be jerks, but um, we're going to name them. Yeah, so some of you are old enough to remember Ted Haggard in 2006. He was serving as the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, massive uh, position. Uh, he was also a senior pastor of a mega church. Um, and then it comes out that he's using crystal, crystal meth and he's engaging the services of a homosexual escort service to give him quote unquote massages. And you're like, yeah, I mean, you're laughing, right? Do you remember that, or is that really? No, kind I remember of Ted Haggard. Yeah. Oh, you know, and you're like, what? And you're just trying to wrap you. You're just trying to wrap your head. Here's this guy who's literally preaching abstinence and and uh, pro life and all the right external messages, and you find out you you've been living a lie the whole time. You, it, it was just ugly. Um, another one was this guy named Bob Coy. Uh, he was a pastor of a massive church in Fort Lauderdale, uh, Florida. He had this, a huge radio ministry, exceedingly influential. Uh, in fact, my wife actually attended his church one Sunday. She was down in Florida, and she just wanted to go and worship. And her 
relative, I don't know, remember who it was, doesn't matter, that was her church. So she says, yeah, I went and I heard this guy named Bob Coy. I'd never heard of him. She says, yeah, it was pretty good. And so I checked him out and it's like, oh, I'm not too thrilled over him, but, uh, you know, it looks like he's a believer in preaching the gospel. Um, well, in 2014, we find out that he's actually a serial adulterer. He's hooked on porn and everything that goes with it. And so, again, you have this guy who everyone is holding up as here is what godliness looks like. But in fact, he's not. Um, yeah. Uh, you got another one, Doug Phillips, uh, who was headed up that, that patriarchal parachurch ministry, something known as Vision Forum, and was forced to be reckoned with. Well, uh, I mean, that was that was a huge one in our church. Uh, this might have been before your time. I don't remember that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. This was in our church. really, really big. And so you get the, you know, you got the more kids you have, it's it's connected to the quiverful sure, movement sure. and everything else. And and so it's heavy on the submission of the wife, the headship of the husband. So when they raise their boys, they're usually pain in the butts. They're, they're just arrogant little guys because they're being taught they're, they're men. And the women are being told, you know, no, you need to be this quiet, submissive, barefoot, pregnant uh, individual. Um, and they really had a huge influence um, in, in their time. Go yeah. Ahead. So the thing that they would focus on is a strong push on godly homes, yeah. proper marital roles, um, of course, all defined by him um, and, and a growing group of followers. Um, and that all came to the end in 2013 when it was discovered after the big emphasis there being what marriages should be and <laughs> what homes should be. It's discovered he's unfaithful to his wife. He's abusive. He's involved in um, twisted sexual activities. Yeah, we won't get into the specifics, but he was a messed up man. Yeah. And then you got Rob Bell, who I remember that one. Yeah. Um, the seminary campus was just on fire during that time. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and he shot he shot to the top of the new trend in how to worship and, you know, quote, do Christianity. And all of that began to unravel as we would just watch him enter into a, a form of what's known as universalism. Um, it becomes eventually an advocate for homosexuality, uh, has gone on now to become more liberal. I think he's the uh, spiritual advisor to Oprah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, he's cross-denying religious man at this point who says nothing that is ultimately going to matter. But a lot of people bought into his stuff. Yeah. And then we, we already mentioned him, Tulian, I can't ever say it, Um Another great man of God in the minds of many, um, until it came out that he was still, that he was actually a great serial adulterer. Uh, in fact, he eventually married one of the women he had affairs with and started a new church. And of course, many people are now coming to that because, you know, Christianity is for those who are broken, Matt. And, and that's what grace is all about. And it's like, dude, you have been teaching this doctrine of free grace so pro prominently and the whole time you're just involved time after time after time in adulterous, not just once, we're talking multiple times and having affairs with other ladies while he's having an affair. I mean, it was it was a mess, and he was part of the Gospel Coalition. He was one of the top guys yeah, there. Yeah, I remember him. Um, it, and grandson of by marriage, I think, with Billy Graham. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it again, you you take that life and you put it up into Second Peter, where he says these people are actually slaves themselves to their own desires. 
uh, all the while preaching these things and enticing people away. Yeah, and, and many others recently as well. Right. Yeah, we could just keep. Guys, I mean, the we, list just we, keeps growing, and it's, it's all. Pu- this is all public. We're not. It's not like we have secret insight, and so we're just trying to, you know, gossip here. I mean, this is all stuff that's been out there, and we're painfully aware that this could be us. I mean, and it could be you. So it, it's not something to joke about. It's not something to just kind of cluck our uh, tongues at and say, "Well, well, um, this is deadly stuff." And it goes on all the time. And it's at its root is at some point they decided they don't have to exercise self-control, but they're exempt from this or this one doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, It's bad. And and our point here would be, because you could, you could just keep going on with all these people that have done this and even more recently. And it's heartbreaking every single time. And we say that because just around the corner, you know, is another religious leader who's going to be shooting up higher and higher in the eyes of the people and everyone's going to swoon to them and follow them. And all the while, um, because of no true heart or self-control, what we'll see is that they'll turn out to be, as Jesus uses here the term, the whitewashed grave. And, and as a pastor, I think one of the things that breaks my heart is how often we're, we, we're, we have that propensity to then go after that new big voice you know, that's being well-marketed. Um, and, and all around us, we have these faithful pastors of these little churches who just keep slogging along and they're not sexy with their voice. They're not, they don't have a, a slick ministry, nothing. They just, but what they do is at, they live a simple life and they get up every single week and they just open the word and they explain their text. And you're like, I, I just would, I, I wish that more people would just be content with what they have rather than searching the web for that latest voice that's out there that's big and wow, did you hear this guy? He just rocked it. Again, we're watching Francis Chan just go worse and worse and worse with his theology. And yet again, an example of a guy that everyone loved. And I'm like, I'm not that impressed with the guy. Um, Anyhow. Yeah. So Jesus is not impressed by those (laughs) who are driven by their desires. Um, no matter how holy they claim those desires can be or how holy to us they appear to be. Um, we must guard against the cheap imitation of true self-control that is merely external rules while the heart inside continues to run all sorts of evil. Uh, we can see this in various movements that rise, that rise up within the church. Uh, there were the early developments of monasticism. Have you ever heard the stories where the guys that would live on those like pillars? Yeah, and then they're yelling back and forth yeah. at each other because yeah. they brought their sin with them. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what a joke. Uh, but but held out to be holy men because they would starve themselves and stuff like that. But in fact, their heart remained unchanged. Um, another one, evangelicals today, we still have this form of monasticism. Uh, we talk about how we need to withdraw from the world. We create up these artificial barriers and standards. Kim and I became tempted on that one, me more than her. But there's a time where we uh, started thinking we just want to get into homesteading. And we just want to get out, get some land, live a simple life, raise some pigs, horses, and chickens and whatnot. And there was this uh, magazine that we uh, subscribed to. It was called Gentle Spirit. And it was written by a lady. And had, she had like 12,000 children and blah, blah, blah. And, 
And then she, she divorced her husband. He turned out to be constantly out there having affairs. The whole thing was a, a sham. And what I, that's where I came up with that term evangelical monasticism. It's this idea that if we can retreat from the busyness of this world, that we can create up the barriers to all of that. But the problem is that we carry our sin just like the early monastics did um, with us. And we don't deal with that. So Paul talks about it in Colossians chapter 2. He says in verses 20 to 23, he says, if you have died with Christ, and the assumption is you have, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, all, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. In other words, all of those rules and externalisms, they, they never will ultimately address a heart. If you address a heart, you will then create rules. That's the subtle difference is a man or woman who brings self-control from the heart into their life, it will show itself externally right? They're not still getting drunk. Um, but they don't start with, I, I cut out alcohol, but my heart is still filled with the fleshly desires. It's, I address the fleshly desires in the power of the spirit. And as a result of that, there are certain things I just don't do. It, it, it's subtle, but it, it's different. It's a big difference. Yeah. 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 So they have that appearance of wisdom, right? But the Bible says that they lack the power to deal with the core problem, which is always going to be the flesh. Yeah. So we have actually three more points uh, to make on the necessity of self-control, uh, but this is more than enough for now, <laughs> more than enough to just think on and consider. Um, and we'll deal with those next time. Um, Paul's point in Colossians 2, though, can't be missed. Uh, Self-control is not something that's pulled out of our own power. Uh, when that happens, it always just turns into rules, self-deprivation that feeds our own pride. Um, it, it, it's strange but true that often true godliness and false godliness look very similar on the surface. Right. But as we've been saying, the, the difference always is the motivation of the heart. It's that heart attitude. Uh, one comes to be noticed or to just fix something in our life, um, uh, it, it, it's very self-centered. Uh, the other, though, is motivated from a heart of humility that seeks to follow the Lord. It's, it is the one who submits to the Spirit through the Word of God, in other words. And one works for a little while, while the other tends to be rather unexciting and slow, um, but it endures and grows into something God-honoring, which is why we always try to talk about the Christian faith as a walk. It's truly yeah. a walk. It's this yeah. slow, boring sometimes just hidden life. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, that's the best way to describe it. So it's not that it's not that you're putting things away and no longer partaking of things. It's just that um, the motivation is pushing you along for different reasons. Always, always, though, in the end, the hypocritical heart is revealed. Um, the the pastors we just described are good examples of it. They rose up really high. They had a massive following. You don't get more godly than them. And then you find out that, in fact, they never were. Um, but they had the externals down. Um, the genuine Christian is just gracious. By God's gracious spirit is growing into uh, a conformity of, of the person of Christ. Yeah. 
So we'll pick up some of these other points next time, Lord willing. But until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the value and necessity of self-control. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review. Connect with us as always on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell a friend. Oh,